Hello and welcome to Doula Dang Thing. Today I'm going to share the birth story of my second birth. Doula Dang Thing podcast is not meant for medical advice. If you have a medical issue, please contact your care provider. Hi everyone, welcome to Doula Dang Thing. So happy you're here. It's just me again. It was just me last week and it's just me this week again. Natasha is still out of town. And so I'm continuing on with the series of what I wish I knew with my births that I didn't, but now I do. And now I'm going to share all of that luscious educational experiences with you. That was weird to say. Natasha would probably be making fun of me right now, but that's okay. I said it and here we are. Okay. So like last week when I talked about my first birth where my daughter was born at 26 weeks, this birth is also not great. <laughs> I, I didn't have any positive birthing experiences, unfortunately. But I did learn a lot, and so I'm going to share that with you guys. And we're going to go through uh, what went wrong, what I could have done to potentially make it better. So that way, if any of these situations happen to you, you can feel more in control and feel like you have more of a say in what goes on surrounding your care. I'm not telling you any of this to scare you. That's the last thing I want to do. This is not a common issue and most births go off without a hitch and this is just what happened with my personal body because I'm dealing with a malformation. I have a malformation of my cervix so it's not normal and that's why this happened to me. Okay so when I first was pregnant with my daughter, my first pregnancy. They never checked why she came early. They had no idea. Nobody knew. It was just like, oh, well, it could have been a fluke. It could have been this. They kind of listed off a lot of things it could have been, but nobody told me why. So when we decided that we were ready to have another baby, my first thought was, I don't want to do that again because it was absolutely torturous to have her in the NICU for that long And they didn't know why, so there was a good chance that it could potentially happen again. But we looked into foster care at the time, um, or adoption, and it just felt too hard. The potential of having a baby taken away like that, um, having to deal with social workers, like all of that just felt too hard. And since there was a chance that... I would have a normal pregnancy this time. We decided to just go for it. I got pregnant on the first try, you guys. Like, literally, the first try, I got pregnant. So, you know, I had planned to try for a while, just like the first time, thinking I had a a say in when I got pregnant or didn't get pregnant. You really don't. It could take one time. It could take 100 times the second time. You just never really know. So I got pregnant right away, and I was followed really, really closely this time. I had all kinds of blood tests done, and it turned out I had something called MTHFR. Now, MTHFR is where your body doesn't process folic acid. Your body has a tough time utilizing it in an unnatural form. And you also have problems with detoxing, among other things. I don't know. It's never honestly been really well explained, but that's how I understand it. So then 
that causes blood clotting. So I had a higher risk of blood clots. The thought, the theory was that if I had this MTHFR, I gave birth early potentially because of, you know, my placenta clotted off or something like that and caused me to go into labor. Well, I didn't have any issues with blood clotting because of the the version of MTHFR I had. It's not like the worst version, so that seemed to be okay. But to help me with that, I had progesterone injections weekly, which, holy cow, they're so painful. First, they started with a cream, and then once you get to a certain gestation, then you move on to shots. And the progesterone stuff is so thick and the needle is so big because it's so thick. And so I had just bruises all over my butt for my whole pregnancy. And it was just always sore. And, you know, it was once a week. And so you'd think like you'd have some time to heal, but no, my butt was sore forever. And it was really tough. Then also, I had to be on bed rest for the whole time. So I was just sitting in my house. I had an almost two-year-old running around, and it was really, really hard. We ended up having to put her in daycare just so like she could do anything in the day because I just had to lay there all day. I was able to go up and go to the bathroom, thank goodness, at that time. But it just wasn't fun. Um, I was also put on pelvic rest, so that means no sex, no nothing, which was also not fun. And that's it. I just kind of laid there for months and months. I was followed by a specialist as well as my OBGYN. And he would check my cervix. And he was the one who told me that I had incompetent cervix or weakened cervix or insufficient cervix or whatever cervix they want to call it nowadays. They keep kind of changing the name. So I had that kind of a cervix and kind of like a deformed-ish looking uterus, apparently. My regular OBGYN never told me any of that. Only the specialist was able to diagnose that. I don't remember exactly, but I think it was like every couple weeks. I had to go to the specialist. He checked my cervix with the little wand because that's how they look at your cervix. And he kept saying, oh, it's getting thinner. It's getting thinner. And I thought, okay, I'm laying down. I'm getting all these hormone injections. Like, what else do you want me to do? But I just kept trucking along. I would have done anything to keep my baby out of the NICU. And I thought, okay, I'm doing all this stuff for sure. For sure, I'm going to keep this baby in for the whole time, right? Well, one day, my daughter was actually really, really sick. She ended up developing pneumonia. And her pediatrician, my husband took her to the pediatrician, and he was like, okay, you need to admit her to the hospital right now. She can't breathe. I had an appointment with my specialist, so I was there while he was at the pediatrician. I'm like, okay. I'm going to just go jump into this appointment real quick. I'll be out in 10 minutes and I'll be just head over and meet you at the hospital. Little did I know that I would also be going to the hospital for other reasons and I would never get to see 
my baby girl in the hospital and be there for her. Because when I went into my appointment, he did the little wand thing and I'm like, okay, hurry up because like I got to get to the hospital. My, my daughter's in there. And he's like, okay, your cervix is paper thin. He kept saying paper thin, just like that. I'll never forget it. It's paper, paper thin. I thought, okay. Guess how far along I was? 26 weeks. The same gestation as when I had my daughter. And I was furious. I was so, so mad because not only was I like getting progesterone cream and progesterone injections, I had, you know, all of this other stuff going on and I was on bed rest the whole time. I hadn't had sex in months and like all of these things were happening that I for sure thought were going to get me to at least 36 weeks. Like just don't let my baby go in the NICU. I don't want him to go in the NICU. So I was driving to the hospital, screaming, crying, like screaming. I was so angry. I'd gone through all this. My butt was sore all the time. And he was going to come. I thought, there's no way this baby's going to stay in. I'm going to have to go through all of the same things I went through with my daughter. And, you know, what if this baby doesn't survive? Because it was touch and go for a long time with my baby girl. And I was just so mad. And I got to the hospital. My daughter's in there already. She had already been admitted. I couldn't go see her. I had to go save my baby boy. It was torturous. I wanted to be, I wanted, well, if we're going to say what I wanted to be, I wanted to not have to be in the hospital myself. I wanted my body to work. I wanted it to do what I wanted it to do, but it didn't. I wanted to be there for my daughter, but I couldn't. It was beyond difficult for me in that moment. They admitted me in the hospital, and I was just so angry. I don't remember... Talk how I talked to, to the nurses, but I'm sure I, they could tell that I was really, really mad. But the nurses were amazing. They were super duper sweet. And they got me all set up. They hooked me up to all this stuff. They said, okay, um, we're going to give you, they gave me magnesium again. And I thought, well, that didn't work because with my daughter, I had magnesium, but I was already in active labor. And if you didn't hear this, the whole story of my daughter, that's in last week's episode. So they had me hooked up. They put all of these bracelets on me, like you're not allowed to walk, bracelet, fall wrist bracelet, a red bracelet, a yellow bracelet, an identification bracelet, like all kinds of bracelets. They're like, you're not allowed to get up now. <laughs> you can't walk anywhere. Oh, okay, cool. So I laid there. The magnesium makes you very, very sleepy. It makes it hard to focus on things. Your vision gets blurry, makes you really sleepy, slows down your digestion. 
because it, it lowers, oh, it lowers your blood pressure also because what it does is it helps to relax all the smooth muscle in your body because your uterus is smooth muscle. So the thought is if they relax all of those things, then your uterus won't contract. Your blood vessels aren't working the same. Your digestion is not working the same. Your eye muscles are not working the same. And you're just exhausted. So I still have the video. I I recorded a video. And this was like back in the day, y'all. We didn't have like fancy cameras on our phones like we have now. Like this was like, it was the first phone that had a camera. And we were like, oh my gosh. And you could only record like, it was like 15 seconds or something like that. So I was trying to record this message to send to my daughter. So she isn't like, where's my mom? You know, like she, my mom didn't even come to me and you know, she was one, so I'm sure she wouldn't think exactly that way, but I just wanted her to know that I was thinking of her and that I was really not able to be there. So I was trying to record this video. I still have like all the takes because it kept cutting me off because 15 seconds is not a long time when you're trying to like comfort your baby who's in the hospital. So I, I was all like sleepy and like, I was like, Hey, I love you. Like just so exhausted because they had to put my levels pretty high in order to keep me from contracting because they had me hooked up to the contraction monitor, the heart rate monitor, all that stuff, pretty much the entire time I was in the hospital. And we'll talk about how long that was soon in order for my contractions to stop because I would contract without even really feeling it. It wouldn't, it's not, it wasn't painful for me for my cervix to open up because it was so weakened. And so it would just kind of do it on its own. So there were days where I was so tired that I could barely keep my eyes open and Um, My husband would bring my daughter once she got better, because she did get better, thank God. She went to, um, she was only in there for a few days, and she was able to go back home. And so once she was all better, my husband would bring her in every day to just see me. But there were some days where I literally could not keep my eyes open in order to, to see her, and she would, like, get on my bed and, like, try to pry my eyes open, and I was like, I just really cannot do this. And while they were trying to figure out my correct dosage, you know, I had days where my blood pressure was so low. It was like really, really scary. I couldn't sit up without passing out. Um, Just, it was just not fun, you know? And then I'm eating hospital food, which some hospital food is really, really good. This one was not. It was gross. I mean, I'm not, I mean, I guess I'm kind of a picky eater. I'll say that. I'll admit to being kind of a picky eater. But this food was like, one time they made me meatloaf. And I kid you not, it looked and tasted like dog food. It was so bad. Like (laughs) the food was gross. So my husband would bring me food every time he came. And every day, they come in every three hours, draw my blood, check everything. They had to weigh my pee. They had to like pay attention to how much I was pooping. Like it was like, did you poop? Because I was, um, thankfully I didn't have to use a bedpan. Sometimes they'll make you like pee and poop in your bed in a pan. I was able to use a bedside commode. So it was right next to my bed 
and I could use the toilet that way, then I'd let them know, hey, I just went to the bathroom and they'd come in and they'd measure all of it. It was just like the privacy of anything was completely gone because I couldn't go lock the door to use the bathroom because anytime I got up at all or changed positions really, I would have contractions. So I had to stay on my side. So I would switch sides and I had to have my head below um, below my, like I couldn't sit up. I don't know how to describe that otherwise. I couldn't sit up because it would put too much pressure on my cervix. So I had to be lying down on my side all the time. And so I couldn't get up to lock the door or anything like that. I had to just stay there, go to the bathroom, go right back to bed. Guess what? No showers. I couldn't get up to go take a shower. That wasn't allowed also. I'll tell you how long it was in a little while. And you know, back to the toilet thing, every time you go to the bathroom, of course, that's when somebody wants to walk in. So I'm just like sitting on the toilet like, hey, here I am on the toilet. And it was a bit dehumanizing. It it was just like I had no privacy. I had no time to rest because every three hours they'd come in and draw my blood. You know, some people are good at drawing blood and some people are not, as I'm sure you've noticed in your life. But, you know, sometimes I'd have so many bruises on my arms that, like, they couldn't do it and they had to go find somewhere else. Like, it was really, really hard. And every day I waited for this baby to come. I'm like, all right, well, this is it. I mean, I've been here a while now. This is it. Every day, every day, every day, just waiting and waiting and waiting. My room had no window that I could see outside. I could only see a building wall. So I just sat in my bed and looked at the TV. That's all I, that's all I did was watch TV for probably a couple weeks. And I asked the nurse one day, I said, you know, how long do you think I'll be here? Because I had thought like, okay, I'm going to go in the hospital and then my baby's going to come out. Like I really did not think that it was possible to be in a hospital that long and live this way for very long. She said, oh, well, you might be here for, you know, till you're 36 weeks. I thought, wait, what? I could be here for months? Like this? Yeah, people do that all the time. So that gave me a mixed feeling. It gave me hope because that meant my baby would be okay, most likely. But it also was so depressing because I was away from my daughter. I was in this uncomfortable hospital bed, eating disgusting food. I couldn't just like walk over and get a snack. I had to like call like it was just having to rely on other people so much was very, very hard for me because I like to do things myself. I take pride in, in things I do myself. I like being active. I like being productive. 
And that was just completely off the table at that point. I couldn't go to the bathroom by myself. I couldn't walk. I couldn't go anywhere. I couldn't go outside. I couldn't take a shower. I couldn't do anything. And so I was very, very depressed. When I wasn't sleeping, I was crying for those first couple weeks. Then once I realized I was going to be there for quite some time, which, you know, all said and done was a good thing, I thought, okay, I need to find something to keep me active in some way, my mind active, keep something to where I could be productive in this situation. So I decided to take up crochet. I could lay down and do it. Um, You know, it didn't take a ton of energy and I could make things, I could do something, I could be productive. So one of the nurses knew how to crochet and she came in, I had my husband buy me yarn and, and all that stuff and he brought it in and I had a crochet book and one of the nurses knew how and she would come in and teach me. And honestly, that was a lifesaver. Having something to do was so nice. It just felt more like myself a little bit. Because I really couldn't like read a book or anything because my eyes were so blurry. But crochet, like I could just kind of like feel it, you know, like I didn't have to really see too closely of what I was doing all the time. And boy, did I crochet, crocheted up a storm. I made hats, I made blankets, I made gloves. Like I made everything, literally everything. I made it. I just sat there and crocheted all day long, watched TV all day long. Like I crochet so much that I was getting nauseous because like I would like, you know, when you crochet, it goes in like a circle kind of. And so I was watching the hook. And like, I was like, I'm nauseous. And the nurse was like, it's probably because you've been crocheting for 10 hours straight. I was like, oh, okay, maybe. (laughs) But that helped me to just feel like a person. Being in the hospital for that long is very, very, very kind of demoralizing. It It takes away who you are and what you enjoy about your life. As I was there over the weeks, my schedule started to change. I'd be up until about 7 or 8 in the morning, and then I'd sleep until 1 or 2. Because I didn't have the sunlight, because my room didn't let any sun in. I didn't see outside. And I just kind of got onto this completely different schedule. And the doctors were like, you, we need to get you on a better schedule. We need to get you on a better schedule. And I thought, why? Who cares? Even when my baby's born, they're going to wake up all the time anyway. So it was, it was fine. And honestly, it was fine. I don't remember having too many issues um, because, you know, when you have a newborn, you're up all the time anyway. So that part was okay. The weeks went by, 
one week, two weeks, three weeks, four weeks, five weeks, six weeks, seven weeks, eight weeks. And he stayed in. He stayed in. Finally, I got to, I think I was like 34 weeks. And haven't showered. I was not able to shower. Um, My mom came in a couple of times to wash my hair in like a bucket. And you'd get like sponge baths, but like sponge baths are total BS and they do not work. It's not the same thing as taking a shower. It's like this little bucket. They put some soap in there and you wash your body. But like ain't nobody getting that clean from that. So I was disgusting and greasy and gross. And I'm sure I stunk. I don't know. And... Finally, when I was 34 weeks, they said, guess what? Do you want to go outside? I have never been an outdoorsy kind of person, but let me tell you, I've never been so excited to just go outside. I was ecstatic. So they brought in a wheelchair because by this point, my muscles had atrophied, so I couldn't walk very well. I could only walk, you know, a few steps without um, buckling or getting so exhausted like I was going to pass out. So they brought in the wheelchair. My whole family came, um, my husband and my daughter and my mom and dad, and like everybody was there. It was like this huge event that I got to go outside in the parking lot, you know. (laughs) It's not like I was going anywhere exciting. I was walking, uh, they, I, remember, I remember it like it was yesterday. They wheeled me down the hall and everybody, because I knew everybody really well because I'd been there for so long. So everyone was like, yay, everyone was clapping and cheering for me and like, yay, you're going outside and it was just so exciting. And I went out the door and I bawled like a baby. Being outside was, oh, I just still remember that feeling. And I just started crying and I have a picture actually on my website of that day where I have my belly out and my daughter is reaching her hand up and touching my belly. That's the day I got to go outside. And they wheeled me around for a little while and we walked around the hospital and I mean, just seeing a tree seeing grass, seeing a car (laughs) was amazing. And we went back inside and they said, okay, we're going to start with some like physical therapy to rehabilitate you so you can walk again. And I felt like this is going to take an eternity. Like I literally cannot walk. I looked at my back and, you know, before I got pregnant, I was in really good shape. I was super fit. And I looked at my back and it was just like zero muscle tone. Just looked like kind of like a blob almost, which I'd never looked like before. And I thought, this is going to take forever to build up all these muscles back. Like it took me my whole life to build these muscles. This is going to take a long time. Thankfully, it didn't. It didn't take that long. 
probably within like a few months, I was walking without like pain or um, exhaustion or anything like that. But I'd walk down the halls with the physical therapist and again, everyone would cheer for me down the halls and, you know, I built some really nice relationships with the nurses. But then at 36 weeks, technically they say the baby is full term at 37. Back then it was 36. I thought, okay, my baby's not going to go in the NICU at this time. I'm going to refuse the medication. And of course they didn't like that idea. But I thought, I have been here long enough. I am done. I want to go home. I want to live with my daughter. I want to live with my husband. I want to sleep in my bed. I want to eat my food. I want to just be in my home. And my hope was that if I said no, I could just give birth there and then that would be it and I'd be done and I could go home with my baby too. Because I had a couple of times where they tried to to wean me off the magnesium and it didn't work out. And they said a couple times, you get to go home today and then they'd check me and I'd be too much dilated and they said, just kidding, you're staying. So, you know, over the last couple of weeks, I kept having them tell me I could go home and then take it away. And so I was just like ready. I was ready to go home big time. Beyond ready to go home. So I denied the, the, medica- the medication on when I was 36 weeks. And I thought, okay, I'm going to have a baby today. This is going to happen. Well, it didn't. But they let me go home anyway. That night of the day they let me go home, I kid you not, I started feeling a little something, something. And they warned me before I left the hospital because I had dilated to six or seven centimeters while I was in the hospital. So they warned me. They said, if you feel any contractions, you come immediately or else you're going to have this baby wherever. So I started feeling a little something. It wasn't painful yet, and it wasn't super consistent, but I was definitely having contractions. So I told my husband, I had just gotten home. Just, just, just. He was like, are you sure? I was like, yeah, we got to go. So we got in the car. We got to the hospital. I'm like, I'm back. Nobody recognized me because I had my hair done and my makeup on and like, I look like how I usually look. And everyone was like, wait, what? Oh, hi. (laughs) Because let me tell you, I was looking pretty tore up in the hospital for sure. Not showering for a month, not shaving. I never knew my legs even could ever get that hairy. Like it was disgusting. (laughs) So the day I got home, I was like, I'm going to print myself. I missed this. So nobody recognized me. And then they were like, oh my gosh. He looks so different. (laughs) I got in the room and this time getting to the hospital was a much better experience because I knew my baby would most likely be okay or at least not have to stay in the NICU for as long. And I knew everybody, so it was like, hey guys, I'm back. And everything was, you know, just a different experience. That part was nice. And I was able to have my family there with me. And um, the laboring part was really, really 
great, actually. I was handling my contractions really well using comfort measures, and I was just calm, and it felt peaceful. And that's something I never got with my with my daughter, and so it felt really good to just have what I had imagined in my mind to be a nice, calm, relaxing birth. Well, that was interrupted because my doctor that was there at the time was not my doctor. And it was a doctor that I had had a couple run-ins with while I was in the hospital because I got to know all the doctors because they would do rounds, you know, on their shifts and stuff like that. And this doctor in particular had said rude things to me multiple times. Now, had I known what I know now, I would have said, I want another doctor. I don't want you delivering my baby. Because that's an option. If there are other doctors around, that is an option. But I didn't know that, and I felt uncomfortable saying that. And so there he was. He was the one that was going to deliver my baby. And every time he came in, because I made the decision to have an unmedicated birth. That was my choice. That's what I wanted, and the thought of an epidural scared me more than the pain of the contractions. And every time he came in the room, why are you doing this? You don't have to feel all of this. You don't have to do this. Now, did I have to do that? No. Did I have to get an epidural? No, because it's my choice, and it makes no difference whether you have an epidural or not. It's completely up to you. Now, sometimes an epidural can help relax your, your body if you're having trouble doing that. I was not. I was doing great. And now that I'm a birth coach and I know how the body works and how you're supposed to move your body and all of those things, I can look back and say, I was doing a great job handling it all. I was very calm. I wasn't panicked. And I was very relaxed. But my labor was taking too long for him. Because guess what? Shift change was coming up. And he was just that kind of a guy. You know what I'm saying? So he wanted me to hurry up. And he kept pushing pain meds on me. Every time he came in the room, pushing pain meds, pushing pain meds. I didn't want them. Then one time he came in. And he had a hook in his hand to break the water. So the amniotic sac surrounds the baby and the amniotic fluid is inside. And when your water breaks, it's because your amniotic sac has broken. Now that's thought to sometimes speed up labor or lock a baby into a good position, but it can also lock baby into a poor position and it makes you more susceptible to infection once your amniotic sac has been broken. Well, I didn't know any of that, but I did know that I didn't want my sac broken because I had heard that it makes it more painful. And it can. It can make it more painful because without that fluid there protecting baby's head from your cervix, the baby's head is now on your cervix. And that's why it's thought to speed up labor. So I didn't want that done. 
And he looked at the nurse like I was an idiot. And he said, I thought you said this was her second baby. Why is she acting like this? Like I wasn't even there. If a doctor does that to you, that's a red flag. They should not treat you that way. And then he broke my water without my consent. That is not allowed here in America. We have laws to protect you from things like that because it was not an emergency. It was not something that was required to be done for the safety of me or my baby. And if I had known what I know now, I would know that that was assault. When somebody does something onto your body that you did not consent to and that was not required for your safety or health or life, that's assault. And I felt really sad. And this whole process of me having the birth I wanted and being in that room with my family and it not being scary and, you know, me being able to calmly handle contractions and feel like a powerful woman for giving birth like I wanted to. That power was taken away from me by that doctor because he did not listen to what I wanted for my body. And oftentimes when we're giving birth, we don't feel like we have choices. But there's lots of choices you can make. Lots and lots. So if you're in labor and your doctor is making you feel like you don't have any choice and they are making all of the decisions for you, but you're educated because you've gone through the education course, bump up birth, and you know what your choices are, you know what your options are for giving birth. This is why it's so important to be educated so that way they don't take your power away. You're in control of that experience. And you have a say of what happens to your body. So I broke my water. And I just, I looked at my husband like, that just happened. But you kind of get distracted by the authority that a doctor carries. And it feels like you can't say anything to them or disagree with them or anything like that. That's not true. So he broke my water. Things did get more intense things did start to pick up. The problem was my baby was not in the best position, not in an impossible position, but he was occiput posterior or OP, which means his head was turned the opposite way of what is considered the quote unquote normal way that a baby comes out. Now, now I know that if that is happening, There are different positions that you can get into, and we talk about those in Bump Up Birth, or you can look up spinning babies, and they'll they'll teach you different positions you can get into to help to move your baby from just being in a position so you don't have to 
do anything from the outside or anything like that. So that way your birth is easier. Baby can come out easier. I went to go push. It was time for me to push. I made it to 10 centimeters. And I pushed and pushed and pushed and I pushed really, really hard. He gave me an episiotomy without asking. Again, assault. He could have had me slow down my pushing. I was pushing way too fast and way too hard. And had I known what I know now, I would have slowed it down, allowed my body time to stretch and open up to where I may not have needed an episiotomy. And pushing out an OP baby is much more difficult. And because I was doing it fast and he saw the baby's head position, he said, oh, you're good at pushing. And am I good at pushing? I guess so. I got the baby out. But he was not good at coaching me to push because he just kept having me go fast, faster, faster, faster. And that's not always good when you're pushing out a baby. And I know there's like uh, this kind of stigma around that. Like, oh, you're good at it because you got your baby out fast. Fast is not always good when it comes to birth and labor. Sometimes it's better to take a little bit of time. Now, if my baby were in distress, like issues with their heart rate, or if there were signs that they had pooped inside of their sac, which is, you know, meconium is the first poop that a baby has, and it's dark and black and tarry. If there were any issues like that, then it would be great to get that baby out fast. Otherwise, there's no rush to push your baby out. And going a little bit slower is better for your body. It's easier on your pelvic floor and it's easier on your vagina. Because I pushed my baby out so quickly and the way he was positioned, after I gave birth, I was in excruciating pain. Much worse than the labor and the pushing and all of that stuff. I was not in my right mind. I lost it. I was banging my head on the side of my bed, like anything to just distract myself from this excruciating pain. The nurse, after in the postpartum unit, she came in, she saw me in so much pain and she panicked. She didn't know what to do. She tried to check me and I screamed bloody murder and so she didn't check me. She just left me there. I'm just laying there, just like peeing on myself. Like it was, I mean, when I look back on this and I'm saying it out loud, it's like, what the heck? It was horrid. My husband said, she needs pain medication. She said, I can't give it to her because she, it's not time or something. It was like some sort of timing thing. She wouldn't give me any pain meds. 
or like the doctor wasn't there or something like that. And one of the nurses that I had gotten pretty close with well, during my stay at the hospital came in to check on me and be like, hey, how's it going? You had your baby, congrats. Saw me in pain. And she went and got me the pain meds. She made it happen for me. And I'm so grateful because I've never been in so much pain in my life. And the reason I was in so much pain is because I developed what's called a hematoma. So it's essentially like just bleeding. So there was blood that was just pooling in between my vagina and my butthole. So in between that little space, I had, to give you an idea of how much blood was in there, when I went back for my six-week appointment, it was a softball size. And back in the day, they used to open those up and let them drain and then pack your vagina full of gauze to help like absorb the blood. Well. Oddly enough, that's not a great idea. It just causes more issues, more infection, more everything, more pain, everything. Now they just let your body absorb it, and your body will absorb it eventually. So at six weeks, it had already had time to absorb, and it was still the size of a softball. And if you think about how big that tissue is in that area, it's not very thick. So it was horrible. And as a result of that, I lost a lot of blood. And I, this time I ended up needing a blood transfusion. Because I just couldn't get up without passing out. So I got my blood transfusion and I was feeling a little bit better. They got some nurses that came in and kind of chewed the other nurse out for not checking me. And everything started to get better after that. Everything was healing. I was getting stronger. I still had trouble getting around, so we had family to help us. And the way my family pulled together was so incredible, and I'm so grateful for them. During my hospital stay, after I got out of the hospital, you know, they would take turns watching my daughter and it was just amazing. I was able to bring my son home and he didn't need any hospital stay. He was perfectly healthy. And it was interesting because everything my daughter had gone through in the hospital all of those months was very similar to what I had to go through all of those months. And so I felt proud that I was able to save him from having to experience that. And as torturous as it was, I would much rather have gone through it than have my baby go through it, let me tell you. And I cried for my daughter having to do that. And how it just made me realize how strong she was, how strong she is. And it's a blessing to be able to tell her when she's feeling stressed or down or whatever. You are the strongest person I know and now I can use that to build her up so that's another thing that another positive thing that came out of that situation positive things that came out of my second birth 
or me finding out how strong I was, what I could endure, would I rather have not endured that? Uh, yeah. But now I really do feel like I can handle anything, at least for a little while. And we all have that strength inside of us, even when we don't feel like we do. I remember going in the hospital that first day thinking I would never survive that long. And those first week, that, that first week or two was torture. But no matter how hard anything is, The longer you do it, the easier it gets. So remember that when you bring your baby home and it's really hard. Remember that when you're in labor and it's really hard. You will get through it because you have that inside of you. We all do. There's nothing special about me that gave me what I needed to get through that. Nothing. You just do it. Some other positives that came from that situation is I learned how to rely on other people. And while some might consider it a strength to be independent and self-reliant, and sometimes it is, you are so much stronger when you have the courage to rely on someone else. And that can be really hard. It was really hard for me. But it taught me that it's okay to need help. It's okay to rely on other people. And it showed me that other people really can help really do want to help. Another positive, I learned that some doctors and nurses are the best people on the planet and so incredible, so capable, so compassionate, and so caring, and that some are not. I learned how important education is. So you're not at the mercy of whatever doctor or nurse you have. You know what is right, what is wrong, What are your options? What are not your options? And you can make those decisions for yourself. This is why it's my passion to educate people about birth and parenting and all of those things. Because I saw over the months I was in the hospital, the different levels of capabilities within the same space. There's a big difference between a good nurse and a good doctor and a bad nurse, and a bad doctor, and they're both working at the same place. They're both seeing patients. It's up to you to be prepared. It's up to you to protect yourself and your baby. And you can do it. That's why I'm so glad you're here. Let's talk about the efficacy of bed rest according to research. Not that long ago, there have been some studies done that say that bed rest is not a good idea if you're at risk for preterm birth. So, and they did the studies for all the reasons. So preeclampsia, having multiples, having a short cervix, um, you know, placenta previa, all of those things. They say that there that is not beneficial to be on bed rest. However, it worked for me. So... Studies, especially when it comes to birth and pregnancy, are definitely not always perfect. It's really, really hard to find people willing to do the studies and 
you know, ethical ways to compare treating someone and not treating someone. Because especially with bed rest, there's no way to know if it worked unless you actually do it. So if you don't do it, then how do you know that bed rest would not have worked for you? And if you did do it, how do you know that the opposite would not have worked for you or vice versa? So it's a really, really tough thing to study. This is where it comes down to what's going on with your particular body because every body is different and every body has a different pregnancy and every pregnancy is a different pregnancy. They're all different. Talking with your care provider, making sure that you're making the right decisions for you. This is why, again, education is so important. I harp on that all the time because it's so true. Like for me, for instance, anytime I got up, I would have contractions. Contractions. So I knew that I had to be laying down. I could not walk around or I would have my baby. And having my first baby at 26 weeks and then being able to last that long on bed rest, for me, it worked. So it's not a 100% like we talk about all the time. Nothing is 100%. But bed rest for me was the best option I had available. I should have done a cerclage that probably would have helped me as well, which is where they stitch up your cervix. We talked about that in last week's episode about my first birth. However, I didn't do that. So bed rest was what worked for me. All the medications they gave me that worked for me. Were there better options? Potentially. But that's where you have to, to use your voice, ask a lot of questions, learn what's going on, what you need to know, get educated yourself so that way you're part of the team to make that decision for your own body. Bed rest causes a lot of complications, medical complications, emotional complications, physical complications. You're at a higher risk of muscle loss like we talked about. You lose muscle very quickly after, I think it's like six hours, you start to lose your muscle mass. And um, bone bone density loss, uh, your blood sugar levels change, um, the way you metabolize food, your digestion changes, blood pressure changes, um, it increases anxiety and stress and depression because you know, it really impacts your life in a big way. It's it's not easy and there's a lot of repercussions, especially if you are not financially in a place where you cannot work. That's very difficult on a lot of people. Blood clots, you, there's mixed reviews on that. It may or may not be increased by bed rest. Um, when I was in the hospital, I had to wear these little leg cuffs. It's kind of like a big blood pressure cuff that goes on your calves. And it just kind of squeezes you all day, all night long. I had to wear those the entire time pretty much um, just to make sure my blood was still circulating properly. Like I said, the research is iffy on that. Whether, Whether or not blood clots are a real issue, I don't know. There's a lot of gaps in research. Um, You're just going to have to go with what you know about yourself, what your doctor is telling you, and what your history of your medical history tells you about the situation you're in as well. Those leg cuffs are also used sometimes after birth, particularly a C-section. They'll put those little leg cuffs on you to go to make sure that your blood is circulating to reduce your risk of blood clots. 
If you want more education, head over to supportedseason.com where you can get the Bump Up Birth Method. Keep coming back here every Wednesday. Uh, Like and subscribe so that way you don't miss an episode. We'd love to see you next Wednesday. Hopefully Natasha will be back soon. Uh, I have one more thing I want to share. Well, maybe two more things I want to share. So maybe I'll just be by myself for the next couple weeks because I want to talk about my third child, which I did not birth myself. I adopted him through the foster care system. And also I want to talk about what I wish I knew with breastfeeding when starting out with that. So I'll probably do two more of this series and then I'll bring Natasha back. I miss her. She's my best friend. (laughs) Thank you so much for joining me. If you have questions, I'd love to hear them. Instagram at supported underscore season or supportedseason.com slash contact. I really want to hear your questions, thoughts, concerns. Do you like this series? Do you not? I want to hear it all. And we'll see you next Wednesday. Bye.